On this episode of Complicated Conversations, we welcome Christina Hobbs and Lauren Billings, or as you know them, Christina Lauren. Under this combined pen name, Christina Lauren is the New York Times, USA Today, and number one internationally best-selling co-author duo of the Beautiful and Wild Season series. My personal favorite, which I have right here, you know, you never forget your first, Dating That's You, right. Hating You, <laughs> The Unhoneymooners, and many more, including 18 New York Times bestselling novels. Their new novel, The True Love Experiment, is out now. Welcome to Pop Fiction Women. Yay, thank you for having us. Hello. Hi. So we are so excited. This is a follow-up to The Soulmate Equation, which I loved. It was actually the first book I read of 2023. I, I checked my notes. I finished it on January 2nd. So, Oh, that's amazing. Uh, ah. Yes. I think I started on January 1st, literally. That's how much <laughs> I devoured it. But I loved Fizzy in that book, and now she is center stage, so we're going to talk about her. But first, why don't you give our listeners just the elevator pitch for The True Love Experiment? Sure. So for anyone who's just listening, this is Lauren. This is Lauren's voice. So Fizzy's book is she was the best friend character in The Soulmate Equation. She's a romance author who was the one who dragged Jess in The Soulmate Equation to do the DNA dating service, DNA based dating service. And so in The True Love Experiment, Fizzy has lost her inspiration. She's lost her joy. And as a way to sort of find herself and find her joy again, she agrees to do this reality dating show that is based on that DNA technology. And instead of falling in love with one of the contestants, she finds more chemistry behind the camera with the producer who recruits her. So I just really loved writing this book with Christina. It was like these two characters sort of finding themselves again and becoming really good friends first and falling in love. And it was just really such a joyful book to write. It's literally so joyful. That is how I would describe yes. it to anyone. Um, so Fizzy, you've already mentioned, I love her. She is, as you said, a romance writer who's really never truly been in love. She says, mm -hmm. I've never made it past the first act of my own story. Uh, mm. But she typically has a really voracious appetite for romance and sex and dating and men. And But you, as you said, she's sort of burned out and, and has a a relationship from which now she's a little skittish. She's having writer's block. So she's in kind of a low place. Um, but what I love about Fizzy throughout is how actively she goes after what she wants. That's like our favorite with a heroine. So I want to read two passages, one from Fizzy's point of view describing her and one from Connor's because I think they both describe her so well. So from Fizzy's point of view, she says, I assume we all have the proverbial angel on one shoulder and the devil on the other. But in my case, they're very real and the devil is a shouter. <laughs> Which I thought was so <laughs> that perfect is so for Fizzy. Good. And then you've got Connor's point of view. He says, Fizzy says what she thinks, takes what she deserves and makes no apologies for either. So tell us about your development of Fizzy. Obviously, you had created her as the side character, but how she went from side character to leading lady. So yes, Fizzy, we first meet her in The Soulmate Equation, which you don't have to read The Soulmate Equation, but you get a little bit extra, you know. So we first meet her and we never planned on writing her book. She was just, you know, the fun side character kind of there to help, you know, guide Jess on her way and sort of comic relief. Because if we were going to write... You know, we might not have made her a romance novelist because we do make her, you know, sort of silly and she's always writing things and she's like, has this 
always dating and, you know, kind of stuff. So, but we just had so much fun. So when we went on tour, um, one of the questions we got the most was, is Fizzy going to get her own book? And so, uh, you know, we were like, oh, never say never, never say never. <laughs> and then finally we were like, well, I mean, can we? But we didn't know what her story was because she's so big and she seems to really have it all together in this whole made equation. So what are Fizzy's vulnerabilities? What are her slip ups or falls? What does she want? Like, how do we find her layers? And so we thought about it a long time. And then, um, as soon as we discovered that Fizzy had lost her joy, like her story sort of unfolded. And I have to say, while we were writing her, Lo was literally writing the first chapter, which is because, you know, we, Fizzy is not us by any stretch of the imagination, but the things that she says about her readers and about romance and fangirling and joy, like those are probably the closest to things we've ever said as being Christina and Lauren in our books. Mm. But it was so crazy. We were writing and while we were doing it, Lo was writing Fizzy doing a commencement speech. Lo gets invited to do a commencement speech at her school. And I got to go watch um, her do this. And it was just the craziest, most surreal moment to have all of this happening at the same time. Um, That's very meta. Meta. It is. Like, what is happening? (laughs) It was wild. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Well, I, I love that about Fizzy that she, this isn't about some flaw or some, she's just lost something Mm -hmm. and she had it and she can get it back but where we meet her she's completely lost it and she didn't even realize she Mm -hmm. lost it um but the book is told in alternating points of view with connor the very tall and handsome single dad producer of fizzy's reality dating show the sexual tension and connection between them is perfect And as a romance writer, Fizzy loves to cast men as certain archetypes, but she realizes quickly that he's more complicated than that, and he doesn't fit into one of these boxes. And what we love is that he sees Fizzy, all of her, which ultimately helps her connect with a new side of herself, the best version of herself. And I wanted to read a little bit from Fizzy's point of view about Connor. One of my favorite things about Connor was that he didn't need me to be anything, I could be both silly and loud or thoughtful and contemplative. And it was all just me. And I love that. I love that that's what he brings out for her. So tell us about Connor and how you developed him and your approach to writing these hero archetypes. So as Christina mentioned, we were a little daunted at the beginning of the draft because we weren't sure we would be able to capture fizzy in all of her fizziness from Mm -hmm. the soulmate equation. And so that kind of meant that we were focused more on the difficulty of Fizzy and we didn't anticipate what would actually be hard, which is figuring out who is the hero who deserves this person. Mm. Because as soon as we started writing Fizzy, she came really actually pretty easily to us. And it was more a matter of who is the hero that she would choose and this person who has dated everybody and slept with every kind of guy and like had every kind of, you know, romantic adventure who is she going to say, you are going to be everything for me? And so, you know, it took us a little while to like figure out who he was. It went, we went through a few drafts and each time we would kind of refine who he was because he is a quieter sort of foundational hero. He's not loud. He doesn't have some wild eccentricities. He's just good. And so writing somebody who is good and listens and sees the heroine, those are things that really are subtle to write and you have to layer them in. 
And I'm really proud of how we did that because I feel like we were patient with him as a character in the same way that he's patient with Fizzy. Um, And so, you know, I really love one of the things that I love the most about this book when I go back and just flip through it is their friendship and how it develops and how, you know, they talk about stuff and they're open in their vulnerabilities because they sort of meet each other at the place where neither of them is very happy with their life. And they're not, it's not that they're not happy with themselves. It's just that they're not finding a way to like enjoy themselves in their life. And so when they come together, that's the spark where they can kind of both begin to do that again. And it was just so fun to write him, you know, he's really lovely man. I I think that's one of the most underrated traits in a hero archetype, which is the good listener. I Mm -hmm. mean, I think you had this great line about if there was um romance Olympics, he'd win for like active listening active or something. Listening. Yeah. <laughs> it was so true. Um So I want to talk about the romance genre because obviously there's a lot of commentary throughout the book on it because she is a romance writer. And there are, are, I think, I'm a huge fan of the genre and there are a lot of misconceptions. I'm sure as writers in it, you've heard them all. Um, <laughs> and, um, Fizzy's commencement speech actually is a, a, a passage I want to read because she's, ta- she talks about writing romance. So she says, I'm going to tell you to live your life like it's a romance novel. Listen, romance isn't gratuitous bodice ripping. It can be. And there's nothing wrong with that. But in the end, romance isn't about the fantasy of being wealthy or beautiful or even being tied to the bed. It's about elevating stories of joy above stories of pain. It's about seeing yourself as the main character in a very interesting or maybe even quiet life that is entirely yours to control. It is, my friends, the fantasy of significance. And that is like on page four. And I mean, (laughs) amazing quote. I love it. This book, as I said, really is pure joy. Talk about elevating joy. So why do you think uh, the romance genre gets denigrated or judged in in the way that it does by some people, not us? (laughs) I mean, the patriarchy. Yeah, like, well, <laughs> always the yes. How much time do we have? Oh, yes, exactly. Big question, but also simple answer, right? Yes, yes. Yes, anything I mean, that, yeah, go ahead. I, I just think like, we just have this this thing where it's embedded because it's a lot of women who say it too, yeah. that, you know, things that women love, girls love are typically mm-hmm. seen to be frivolous and mm-hmm. silly and, you know, mm-hmm. like loving a band or a singer or a TV show or a show or reading, whatever. I mean, we have lots of women who will see, they loved our book, but then they're like, they, they don't take it as seriously, you know, oh, I will, I never give romance five stars, but <sighs> this was really good, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. kind of a yeah. thing. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Or like you said, Qualifying. the guilty pleasure. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Why? 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 It's just pleasure. Just without yeah. the just guilty pleasure. Part. Yeah. 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 And we just, especially pleasure. when you're reading a book, like yeah. you don't have to apologize to anybody for what you read. You yes. Know? Yes. Can we talk more about the fantasy of significance to have what you care about matter just because you care about it, not because it is like objectively important with a capital I or, you know, whatever it is. Uh, And that is something I think every woman can relate to in some aspect of their life, feeling, wanting to get lost in that fantasy of significance because they're feeling insignificant. 
And I think, you know, it comes not just from a place as, I mean, you don't have to be a mom to feel like you're not centered in a story a lot of the time. I think women in many environments suffer from that in, you know, as children and families and as, you know, teenage girls, we often don't feel centered in our own story and um, going through our 20s. You know, I think for sure, you know, my life, there are many times I have a wonderful husband, I have wonderful kids. And there's sometimes where I'm like, does anybody care what I want to do? Oh, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And so I think there's something really lovely about centering the female as the middle of the story. Everything in the story revolves around her, the mm-hmm. plot, the emotional arcs, the conflicts, all of them, they are hers to live in, to experience, to fight, to triumph, you know? And so mm-hmm. I think, you know, for women, we don't get to see ourselves doing that. And romance gives us a way, a window into those stories, but it also helps us see how we are that person in our own life and how we are the foundation of our communities. I mean, you know, we're talking about things that, that women love or that women do instinctively, like community building. You know, many of us, not all of us, but many of us love to cook. We love to bring people together. We love to form these communities. And that's a huge piece of lives, of families, of friends, like who your community is a, is a really big deal. And that's a gift that many women have. And it's not valued all, all the time. And so I no. think it's really lovely to see ways that like a supporting cast of characters is part of the happily ever after, right? Yeah. The heroine's journey is the happily ever after. And um, it, it lets women see that. Yeah, I love that. So good. Yeah. Well, Kate just talked about joy and elevating joy over pain. Something that brings me a lot of joy personally is reality TV. (laughs) And so I love that you use that as part of this book um, because she's on a reality TV show and Connor spots it immediately. It's such a great hook. What is your relation? How did you come up with that, first of all? And then what is your relationship with reality TV? Um. So when we were talking, we had had another idea. In fact, when we were first talking about the soulmate equation, one of the very, very early, early versions was this idea of this couple that goes on this show, but they, people like start to ship them, even though they're not, they don't like really like each other. And so that just shows like how stories sort of like evolve and change. And that's stuff. hilarious because so, I don't remember that at all. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and like they had a ship that? name and stuff. <laughs> and, uh, and so, but we ended up not going that way. I mean, it was still had the, you know, DNA aspect and stuff, but we ended up not going that way. So when we were talking about this, um, I don't watch a lot of reality TV. It tends to make me anxious. And sometimes a lot of the books that have like a reality TV show, it's like we have a book called in a holidays where there are like, she keeps waking up and having to do things over again. And those things work really well on screen, not necessarily in someone's mind, like reading them. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes in books, when I read about reality TV, it's too much of the show. It's not the same to read about every detail of the show versus like seeing it happen. So um, once we figured it out, we had to, you know, know how to do it differently. So obviously I, there's no shows that I know of where they are like a hero and a heroine. Mm-hmm. Um, and that helped us really talk about, you know, all the different guys, but also knowing how much of the show to put in. And mm-hmm. Low Watch is way more reality TV than I do. But we had to do some research and watch, you know, watch a lot. We just wanted to do something that was different than the shows that are out there. I actually woke up one morning and was like, had a dream 
that somebody had like bought the rights and was making the show. And it was only after a minute, I was like, wait a minute, the technology that the show is based on does not act, it's not a real thing. Right, yes. <laughs> they could leave that part out. Yeah. It's yeah. a great premise. No, and I think you did that really well. I am, I guess, like you, Christina, the, I don't watch very much reality TV at all, but not because I believe, have any kind of prejudged notions about it. I just, yeah. I did originally, I have to say, I've seen like the one of the first few seasons of like The Bachelor or Bachelorette. So actually those, which is the most akin to this. So that I actually have seen a few seasons of. But I think you did it exactly the balance just right of how much to put in because yes, if it, if that took over too much of it and you also introduced it, at, you know, after you've already got, I don't know, 150 pages or whatever in and built their relationship and their friendship, as you say. And so I thought that was, you balanced that really well. Yeah, we yeah. wanted that. Thank you. We wanted the show to be the conflict structure, not the plot structure. Yeah. Like the mm. relationship between them is the story, right? Yes. And the show is just, an, it's like an obstacle course they have to get through. Oh, I love that. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. So one of the things we love on here, because we have our own origin story, is to hear, you know, your origin story, which I've read a little bit about, and it's very interesting, involves Comic-Con and your shared Twilight fandom, and then just how you were each doing your thing. Like, Lauren, I know you have a doctorate in neuroscience, and we're working in a pharma company, and Christina, you were working with junior high counseling office, both full-time when you met. So take us back to, you know, that moment to now, or whatever we said in your bio, incredible, like 18 time New York Times bestselling authors. Like, it's an amazing journey, it seems. Uh, yeah. So we were just writing our own stuff. Bo had a story that was popular. I had a story that was popular. And she was putting on a panel at San Diego Comic-Con on fan works. And she invited me to come. So that was, we had been reading each other's stuff, but we hadn't met in person. And so that was sort of our like, when we think about it, it was like our meet cute because yeah. Um, yeah. it's like, you know, so many people meet through online dating and we obviously that's not the same thing, but we met online and um, we met in person. We got along really well. So we had decided, you know, let's write something together because fandom is super collaborative. Everybody does everything for everyone all the time. And, and so we wrote this little short story and we had so much fun that we were like, hey, do you want to write a book? And now looking back, we only now realize how lucky we were. I mean, because we just knew nothing about what that would entail and mm -hmm. definitely didn't think that we would be here, you know, 29 plus books later. So our friendship sort of grew right along with our partnership. So we wrote, um, a, like, we thought we had to be really serious if we were going to be like serious writers. So we started <laughs> to write this like kind of depressing book. Uh, it did not work out. We scrapped that. And as soon as we wrote a book that had the things we wanted to read, that's when we like really had fun. We got an agent, it took us about nine months to sell our first book. And here we are, 29 plus books and 13 years later. That is 29 Wild. in 13 yeah, years. Almost well, 14. It's 14 this summer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh my gosh. Uh, well, so when we met, yeah. Bo had just found out she was pregnant with her daughter and she's 13 now. So we always like use her as our yes, like. You're, yes, you're. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's amazing. But I want to talk about those numbers because you are very prolific writers. You write very quickly. What is your process? And 
I mean, I know other writing duo. It's not just the duo part because I know other writing duos that don't work as quickly as you do. I I think I read that in 2013 you had six books out. Mm -hmm. I mean, what what is this process like? And do you ever feel like what is happening? (laughs) Well, for sure in 2013 we did because we both still had full-time jobs that year. And I had two little kids. Christina had a, you know, eight-year-old, nine-year-old. And I just remember being, or no, I guess she was a little bit older, but I just remember being like, looking back at that a few months into 2014 and being like, how did we do that? Did we even breathe? Um, Yeah. Because (laughs) what we had heard early on, and we, again, like she said, when we were like, let's just write a book together. We wrote fan fiction. We can do a book. We were really kind of naive, and I think that worked in our favor because we just weren't daunted by challenges. Like, we expected it to be hard, but we didn't know the shape of that. And so we were like, well, let's just try. And then when we first published, um, our editor, who we love, our first editor, Adam Wilson, we did probably, I think, 18, 17 or 18 books with him. He's now at Disney. But he basically told us this genre moves really fast. Mm -hmm. The readers are very voracious and our goal is to build you a backlist very quickly so that you can start like building your own audience and building a readership. And we were like, okay. And so, (laughs) you know, we just like, you know, our first book was, um, we sold our uh, first books in a two book deal. The one that we sold was beautiful bastard and we sold that on like September 19th, 2012. And it came out February 13th, 2013. But our second book was due December 15th, 2012. So from the time that we signed a book contract to turned in a book, it was like three months. And we didn't know any better. And so I think because it started that way, yeah. we were just like, okay, we just have to be fast. And we didn't... It set the pace. It totally set the pace. Yeah. And we didn't put a lot of thought into like creating depth of of plot. Like we were just like, okay, and then they're going to have sex in a restaurant and they're going to have sex on a rooftop and then they're going to, you know what I mean? And so those were the stories we were writing, which made it almost like really easy when you don't have to concern yourself with plot and conflict. You just like write these characters being together. Um, But I think once we wanted to break out of that world a little and make our stories bigger and make the communities more complicated that we needed a little bit more time to get those books written. And, um, and that's when we started to slow down a little bit. I mean, I think a little, I was like, "Mm, yeah, call this slow. So what are you at now? What's your, is it? So now we do, now you, we do a book a year, although we sort of like made that plan. And then we were like, we have so much time, let's write more. So we, we haven't really done what we're trying to do, which is pace ourselves. But yeah, I think this year we're going to just do one book and then that's going to be plenty. Like we do need to give our brains a little bit of a rest. Yeah. 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 And we've talked to a bunch of co-authors and Corinne and I have written together. So we sort of get how two people can actually both contribute to a manuscript. But I think for a lot of readers, they are very curious, you know, like, wait, like literally, how does it work? Google Doc, do you talk to, I'm sure you talk to each other all day. So like, what does it look like for you and your breakneck pace of writing? Well, it's funny because when the pandemic happened, it almost felt like the rest of the world had to learn how we work together. Yes. Because we text all day long. We text, we like talk. There are days where 
you know, cause we're best friends and co-authors. So there are days where like, Lo will call me when she goes to pick up her kids and we've been talking for an hour and a half and we're like, Oh, right. You know, we got to go work. We gotta work. I guess we gotta yeah. work. Yeah. Um, so one thing that we has stayed the same because our process has really changed. It has to, cause there's more going on as we go. We always try to outline in person because we used to be able to like outline a book in like an hour or something, you know, and we just can't do that. <laughs> like our books had story. They had a, a plot, but it was mostly relationship based plot where now there are like A stories and B stories and threads of this and this yeah. and character arcs and stuff. So usually I, so for people who don't know, I am in Utah and Lois in California. And so usually I will go out there and we'll spend a couple of days like outlining, talking about the characters, that kind of thing. But the thing is, is that every, like every child is different. Every book is different. And so we've really had to learn to be flexible about our process. So sometimes we'll split it up and write, you know, you write the girl, I write the guy. And then we combine them and start editing. Or sometimes we're like, you fast draft, I'm going to edit or you start drafting and I'm going to do revisions on this. So we've really had to learn to do that because there's like being an author, I think they used to just sit at their desk and write books and turn them in. And that was sort of all they had to do. Mm -hmm. And it's not like that anymore. With social Um, media. Yeah. Yeah. Social media and everything else and interviews and, and tours and, you know, all of those things. So, um, we just really have learned to like find our strengths, and go with those and be as efficient as we can. Cause like Liz said, we thought we would do one. And, and also I have to say, Lo over the pandemic wrote a book on her own and, um, she did it. She's so fast. Something like just took over her brain and she wrote this book called Scandalized, um, under a different name, Ivy Owens. And it, it's so, it's so good. I was so proud of her, but you know, the processes are different. Yeah. 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 Well, we find with us, and I think this is true of a lot of duos, is that, you know, you, you, like you said, you each have different strengths. And usually it's what, it's the opposites that the ways in which we're different that are really what, where the magic happens. So, mm-hmm. like, how would you describe how you two are different yes. or what each other's strengths are? I mean, I don't think you could have two Laurens in the partnership because it would, be death match. Like I need to be in control and in charge. And so two of those wouldn't work. And likewise, you couldn't have two Christina's because she's not organized in that particular way. And I am too controlling and she is laid back. So it works perfectly. But I think, you know, she's also just sort of the sparkly joy in moments that need levity And she's very good at making sure there's enough stuff happening in our book. So like I could write two people in a room together, having a very like emotional conversation and falling in love for like 500 pages. Right. That's like, I would love to write that, but that's not necessarily fun to read. I mean, for some people it is, but Mm -hmm. most people want like things happening. They want conflict and, you know, internal conflict, external conflict. They want plot. They want, you know, outside characters. How does the outside world affect this romance? And so Christina's really good at like pulling back from our, our outline and saying, there's just not enough here to like get us through this book or get us through this part. And so she's really great at that and describing scenery, like any of our books where there's like a beautiful scene and you can imagine exactly where you are. That's always Christina. Oh, I love that. Uh, 
Lo drives this train. <laughs> like <laughs> nothing would happen without without Lo. She is so organized, and it used. It's funny because we are very different, but some of the things that I resist. I have grown to like need. So Mm. like I used to just really just sort of freak out at like a year long calendar of, you know, like here's our entire year of what we're going to do. But Mm. I need those things like, and you know, so she's, she's so good at that stuff. She, like I said, she wrote an entire book during the pandemic. She's so fast, but not only is she fast, she's so good. And I would, I would read 120,000 words of Lowe's characters just sitting in a room, like (laughs) happily, happily. I always say that the best thing about being in Christina Lauren is I get to read Lowe's stuff first because she just is the most beautiful writer. Um, She just like can write scenes so beautifully where I find myself wondering if we have the same vocabulary. Like if we, you know, (laughs) do I have a bank of these same words? Because the way she puts them together. She's just like such a beautiful writer and to write beautifully and fast is like such a gift. Yeah, that's yeah. not saying it's not hard because it's hard, but I'm really lucky that I get to do this wow. with her. She's so good. I wish you guys liked each other a little. I know. Yeah. <laughs> so gross, isn't it? Just something <laughs> nice <laughs> about the other. Thanks, guys. <laughs> oh my God. It's beautiful. It's it's wonderful. Who, does does one of you do the sex scenes more than the other? Or because they're really, there's a, the, the, it's smoldering, these pages, the chemistry <laughs> and the sex scenes. I mean, we used to write them pretty equally. I think there's fewer in the books now. Like there's like, you know, yeah, at the most, there'll be like four. And, um, I mean, I really like writing them. I love writing. Cause that for me is like the emotional, it's like, that is the, the momentum. You're writing right? to get Core. to that point. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, we both, I mean, we're both in there. Like that's true for every yeah. scene. Like whether yeah. I write it or she writes it, we're both, we have our hands in there. We're like typing, fixing, editing, you know? Yeah. Um, so, and the, you know, even the sex scenes, they go through a lot of different iterations to make sure that they're like. Exactly. Accomplishing exactly what we want. So, cause they have to mean something. They can't just be like action, action, action. It has to be like emo, have emotional impact that lands somewhere after that scene ends. Right. Yeah. She's yeah. totally playing down how good she is as <laughs> I am a sex scene snob. Like I will stop reading a romance if, if the sex is bad <laughs> yes. and she is good. I have found, I am really good at doing it when it's like filthy but when it needs to be more like emotional and like these like beautiful lines or tender even when, yeah. even when it's like more vague I'm terrible at that mm. low is low is so good because sometimes it's mm-hmm. vague and you're like what does that did they have right, that right, right. Or did did they act right. you know and she's right. so good at that so I love um it. and that's why I mentioned scandalized because that book is on par with the sexiness of our early books and mm-hmm. um it's so good all right yeah well that. you're like really leading well into um by in describing each other you're leading well into my next question which is something we love to talk about on here which is astrology um <laughs> we talk to all our authors about it because for us it is it's sort of like the archetypes. I mean, it, we don't, not to put someone in a box, but it does sort of tell us some, maybe some fundamental characteristics <laughs> of the person. I wonder if and, you can guess. 
Well, I cheated. I cheated, but you are really, I mean, she's talking about your year long calendar and you keep the trains running on time. I was a Virgo, folks. And that really, really tracks. She is the um, Virgoist Virgo to Virgo. Oh, she what? is a Virgo. Wow. The Virgo is Virgo to Virgo. That is the best thing I've ever heard. I mean, and then Christina, you are a Pisces, correct? Yes. Right? The emotions. I like, so do you guys, we always ask whether our authors relate. It sounds like clearly you relate to being a Virgo. I definitely do. I, yeah, I didn't when I was younger because when I was younger, I was sort of flaky and like all over the place and like more mercurial and stuff. And there's just like, as an adult, I am like absolutely a Virgo. Yeah. You have to use, to, you have to learn to use the tools, right? Yes. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I am a Pisces when I get to use it to explain the reason I am the way I am. <laughs> <laughs> That's perfect. You're like, here's yeah. my Pisces card. Okay. Yes, Let's yes. just move on now. Oh, I'm sorry. I was daydreaming. Yes. <laughs> yes, exactly. Although I can hold a grudge like it's my job. Ah. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. There you go. And do you, does it ever factor into like your creation of characters? Do you ever think about their signs or... Or, or any, not, like their, their yeah. Myers-Briggs or their, you know, do you ever use the archetypes? Enneagram, whatever yeah, these ways are off. the people... You know, we don't. And I'm like, maybe we should. And then I'm like, I mean, we've written 30 yeah. books now without it. Yeah. I think we're okay. Yes. But like, <laughs> yeah, I think you're good. I think you're but good. But yeah, that's funny because we do sometimes mention when a character's birthday is. And I just realize as you're saying this, like, I never am like, oh, wait, that makes them a Sagittarius and they're totally okay. not at all. So, you know what I mean? Yeah. So. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, and it's yes. funny when an author puts a birth date in, of course, we always ask because yeah. I assume that they've thought about it. But no, lots of not. They're like, no, I just picked a date or I, I made it sometimes close to my own birthday. Sometimes it's just convenient or, to like, yeah, to like, yeah, to, you exactly. know, we use that date to like mark a time when they had a big party or their pseudo something that yep. like affects right. the plot. Yeah. Right. Oh, that's funny. Well, now, uh, next time you might. Noted. Oh, you might yes. <laughs> <laughs> their birthday. Hmm. We're looking, we're, we're thinking about it. Um, so we want to end with what you're loving right now, what you would recommend any books, uh, TV shows, movies, whatever you're Because you guys are the original with. fan fic people. It's like something you still kind of to this day, both fangirl over or anything like that. Well, we are doing two concerts this week, which is um, Suga or Yoongi of BTS. He's doing a solo tour. So we're going to go do that together. Nice. So we are both okay. big ARMY BTS fangirls. Um, Christina discovered them in 2017 when we were researching Josh and Hazel's Guide to Not Dating. Mm -hmm. um, honorifics that are used. Um, somebody recommended she watch some K-pop videos and she just like fell down the BTS rabbit hole. <laughs> and I joined her a couple years later. And so that's something that we really love doing but that's a concert thing we love going to and yeah. we're not writing like fanfic or anything but right. um, it brings us a lot of joy and it's a really mm -hmm. lovely space but in terms of like other stuff that I'm enjoying right now so um, I'm, I just started The Diplomat with um, Carrie Russell Carrie, yep. and it's yeah. really good and I just forget how much I love her like oh, I know you know, we had a, she's always Felicity to me but okay so <laughs> this is what's cool is a friend pointed out yesterday that you know she's gotten a lot of stuff over the years for like her hair and like cutting her hair and Felicity without permission and whatever and like her hair in The Diplomat is doing a lot of character work. It is like, I love it really it. is. I and you'll see exactly mm -hmm. what I mean when you watch it. It's just mm -hmm. wild. Okay. Um, 
And so I'm loving that show. And I just started reading Hidden Valley Ranch, which is a book about the Galvin family. Yes. And there's like 12 kids, 10 sons, and six of them are um, schizophrenic. And it's like the most fascinating book. And I read like all day yesterday. So oh. that was a really great. Is that what somebody mentioned to us? Yeah. Okay, so okay. We recommended it on like Thursday, I think. And I'm just like deep. So that's really not good. nonfiction, non-fiction, right? Yeah. And it's like, yeah. it's a big book. Yeah. But it's, you're... It's just in it. So the trade paperback is like normal size. Then you open it and it's like Bible font. Like it's so (laughs) tiny. I was like, well, let me get my glasses on. (laughs) Yeah. To read this one. Yeah. I've heard great things about that though. Same. Yeah. 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 Um, So I am reading, um, I know this much is true by Wally Lamb. Mm. Um, Oh my gosh. I think 911 pages. So I'll be reading it for a while. That's like my favorite book. Um, Yeah, it's my favorite book. Um, And then I'm listening to I'll Give You the Moon by Kristen Hanna. Yeah. Is that what it's called? Yeah. Yeah, So I'm listening to that. And then I am watching, and this is so unrelated to like the coronation and stuff, but we were, I think we were... I can't remember where we were. And I remembered something from The Crown because I had watched sporadically The Crown when it was originally playing. And um, I had started going back at night and like watching an episode. And so I've been watching, that's my like bed bedtime TV shows. Yeah. I've been mm-hmm. watching The Crown and I'm on season three. And I just really hate There's plenty Charles. of material. <laughs> yes. Oh, God. <laughs> and then yeah. you had to watch him be coronated. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I always, I usually always watch those sorts of things. My mom was like, really loved those things when I was growing up. Um, Me too. Yeah, I really want to go on a tour of like Buckingham Palace and stuff one day, but I just never am there when it's open for that sort of thing. So I'm just really loving that. And um, I'm always like, say what you want to say. I know, you know, about the monarchy and all those things, but like, it's really lovely to watch somebody who gave their entire life to the, a thing. And the mm. first, like, especially two seasons of The Crown are so good. Yeah. Okay. I mean, it's a popular yeah. show for a reason. People yes. Yes. Love, yes. love that show. And it's well, never too late. So I love that it's, like, never too late to go back to something. That, yes. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. yeah. That's right. Because yeah. I'm that – I'm if, if something gets too popular too quickly I'm, and I wasn't involved in the beginning, I have to, like – wait a while and then that's come like Christina back if somebody yeah. if everybody's telling her to do something she's like I'm absolutely not doing it now absolutely like, yeah. you guys are yes. being too intense about this that's so, exactly yes. that is Corinne she's like too bad that book could be the greatest book ever I'm not reading it right now not yeah it'll well, find me when it's supposed to find me exactly I'm like so, is that I'm, Pisces thing yeah, I, yeah <laughs> I'm gonna tell you to go back then if you haven't watched Crash Landing on you on Netflix to watch that it's oh. a k-drama oh. It takes like two episodes to really get past how bonkers the premise is. Um, you have to explain it, though. Okay, so yeah. the premise is the the main heroine. She is a super rich woman in South Korea. She's from a really toxic, gross, very rich family. She's got her own business now, her own company, and she's launching a sportswear line. She wants to launch it by doing something really dramatic, and she like paraglides to you know, show off this like amazing clothing she's wearing and she gets caught in a tornado and taken (laughs) from South Korea across the border into North Korea, into the demilitarized zone where a soldier finds her and rescues her and basically has to hide her until he can get her back home. And in the process, they fall in love. And it is like so bananas and it is so romantic and so stressful. It is amazing. Yes. Yes. And just trust me, like you're going to crack. 
Yeah, the first episode, you're going to be like, this is bananas. And the second yeah. episode, yeah. you're going to be like, I think I see the charm. And by the fourth, you're going to be like, who needs sleep? I right. don't need to go to bed. <laughs> like, I'm never stopping. Okay. Oh, my God. Oh my God this okay. Is- it's called Crash Landing. Crash Landing on You, and it's on Netflix. On You. Yeah, that's a great title, too. Crash that's Landing. Hey, now that I mean, she literally when does. I tell you that each episode yeah. is like 90 minutes, so just stay with it because yes, it's so good. Yeah. Okay. The thing that's wonderful is, like, I don't know if you've watched K-Dramas, but they do not shy away from the romance of a show. It is mm-hmm. all about the romance, and there are, like, long, meaningful glances, you know, across the room and things oh, like that. This show is so romantic. He is the, like, stern, serious, buttoned up, you know, mm-hmm. and she is just this sort of... Bubbly. Bubbly, beautiful, you know... Selfish, shallow. Yes. Yeah. Like, she's, but, and watching uh, that break is... Yes, exactly. And exactly. if you watch the show... <laughs> You are watching these two actors fall in love in real life. They are now married. They have a son. They fell in love on the set. Like everything oh, you're watching you is know, real. It's you insane. got me. That yes. point, that's it. That yeah. you got us you got there. Yeah. That we mm-hmm. love. You actually that. had me a romance crack, but I'll yeah. take all these other things. It's I'll true. I was thinking a little bit of foodie love with that the stern, yeah. the bubbly, selfish, ditzy one and watching that them break. That is a good oh, show, guys. Yeah, that's yeah. a really good one. Yeah. HBO. Okay. Wow. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna check this out. Well, Yay. well that recommendation. Yes. <laughs> Job That's done. An unusual one. <laughs> I know. I love it's it. So good. So good. Yeah. Thank you so much for joining us. We're so happy to get to, to chat with you. The True Love Experiment is out now, and it's great. Yay. Get it. Hope you it's love so it. So good. It's <laughs> joyful. Thank you. It's so joyful. Yes. yes. <laughs>